Tonight we are continuing in the book of the Revelation, and uh, we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5, the throne and the scroll and the lamb. Those are the the things that John sees and writes about in uh, these two chapters. So uh, before we get started, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we will dive in. Father, we are uh, thankful for tonight. Thank you for allowing us to be here, for uh, the opportunity to look into your word, uh, to study, to understand. Uh, Father, we we pray that tonight you would open your word to us, that we might understand uh, these passages. Maybe we've read them before, maybe the first time, but that we would understand them in a new way, in a fresh way. And that, Father, they would transform us. They would change the way we think, which changes the way we act. And so, Father, we just uh, pray for your Holy Spirit's guidance as we walk through. Thank you for truth and for being a God of truth. And uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you had some homework. I'm finding that you're going to have homework each week um, because I've got got another assignment for you for next week. (laughs) Uh, As we got to the end, I thought, I'm not going to answer this question. I'm going to make them answer that question. Um, Homework. What are some of the... Last time we talked about the seven churches um, in chapters two and three, and we said that each of them in one way or another, at one level or another, were uh, impacted negatively by the culture within which they lived and that the church really is to be the one impacting culture that that we as the church need to be impacting the culture in which we live and the homework assignment was to name some of the ways in which the cultural norms that we have allowed to creep into the church whether it be this church locally or uh universally, just the other areas maybe that you know. How have we allowed culture to impact the church? This is when you talk. <laughs> yeah, I saw one down here first. Good point. Good point. Someone else. I saw Jake way in the back. Mm-hmm. Which is which is interesting because dressing up the way you used to was the culture's impact on the church and now not dressing up is the culture's impact on the church Um, both of those were cultural influences not necessarily biblical influences someone else i saw a lot of hands i don't remember ron using a democracy to establish theology to establish what is right what is even to the point of um I'm going to get in trouble for this. (laughs) When we have annual elections, we elect our elders. That's not the biblical way to do it. 
They appointed elders. They didn't elect them. Never did they ever elect or vote for elders or church leaders. They were appointed. And they were appointed by the pastor. So basically the way to do it would be the pastoral staff would appoint the elders of the church. Mm-hmm. We've kind of, because we live in a democratic society, we go from the let the people choose. Well, they did that when they went into the promised land and 10 voted, nope, don't go, and two said go, and they wandered around for a lot longer because God wanted them to go. That democracy doesn't always work. Entertainment in industry is infiltrating the church coming into the church we want to be entertained entertain me complacency Mm -hmm. yeah serve me instead of me serve you a couple more Anyone else? Very much so. Um, Allowing the, the, like you said, accepting homosexuality and just the moral standards, allowing the culture to determine the moral standards of the church and what is right and wrong. Um, We can see that beginning to infiltrate um, some denominations, some churches, uh, very much so. One more. Accountability in the blame game. Uh, Very much so. It's not my fault. Nothing's my fault. And I'm not to be held accountable for anything that I do. Um, And that's not biblical. That's not scriptural. Very good. Um, And the thing then that we have to do is combat that. We have to live by biblical standards. We have to overcome uh, how the culture comes in. Be able to identify it and, and keep the culture out of the church so that the church then can get into the culture. We are in the world, but not of the world. So we are in the culture, but we are not of the culture. Um, We cannot allow the culture to adversely influence how we live uh, from a biblical standpoint. (coughs) Very good. Um, You'll have fun with the assignment I'm going to give you for next week too. Um, Chapter 4. Chapter 4 and 5, John now has taken these letters. He has written them to the churches. Um, however they got out, I don't know, but he got them off the island and, and was going to deliver them. Attached to this, each letter was the rest of Revelation. So each one got their letter and all of Revelation. What does that mean John did? He wrote this book seven times. <laughs> Think about it. He had to write. There was no copying copier. He wrote to the church of Laodicea and then wrote all of the chapters 4 through 22. He wrote the church in Smyrna, their letter, and all of chapter 4 through 22. He, he wrote this out seven times. Um, that's dedication. That is obedience to what God is calling you to do. And he was how old? 
90 maybe in that neighborhood, uh, 90. Uh, so here he is now, we're, we're getting into the, the vision that he saw, and uh, what John gets is, what did, what did he see here in chapter 4? What's the, what is it that he's looking upon? The throne of God. He is getting a peek into heaven now. He is getting to see something that only one other person has ever laid eyes on. Who is that? Jesus. I wasn't thinking Paul either. Who else saw the throne of God? Angels. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. His train of his robe filled the temple. Angels, seraphs buzzing all around. So two that we know of actually got to lay eyes on the throne, of, throne room of God and, and see what John is, is looking at. Now here we see that there is an open door. There's not really a lot of, uh, you'll notice in your notes, usually there's blanks to fill in. There's really not blanks because going through the book of Revelation is not so much filling in the blanks as it is getting the picture and being able to see what it is John saw. And so really what, what I've broken down in, in what we'll see in most of these is basically just key phrases out of the scripture itself and we'll give explanation of those. So I've really just given you a place to write down explanation, uh, things that you want to remember as we, as we walk through this. So we have this appearance of heaven that John is seeing and the first thing he sees is an open door. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had just heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come. And so here he has this open door. Now, now if you're a pre-trib rapture person, you will see what John is about to portray as a representative of the raptured church. That John is, is getting, going into heaven the way the church is going to pre-tribulationally step into heaven and, and be ushered into that door. And here, they come up here and I will show you uh, what must take place after this. So uh, pre-trib, and we'll go back and forth between pre and, mid, pre and post. You probably won't hear me talk about mid a whole lot because um, they just ride the fence. Uh, so here he has an open door. We don't know whether he actually walked through it or just peeked into it, but there, God has thrown open the door to heaven. And we, what is it that he sees first? the throne. Verse 2, he says, at once I was in the, in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Uh, John is invited into the throne room of God. And this throne seems to be central to heaven. Um, Fourteen times in this chapter alone, John uses the word throne. Just in 11 verses, he uses the word throne 14 times. So apparently when he walks in and peeks into this door or walks through this door, whatever the case may be, throne is, is imminent right there. The throne of God is, is central. Now, who is seated on the throne? Someone. 
<laughs> is seated on the throne. That's what the word says, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Now, we believe that rightly so, we can say that this is God, the Father, seated on this throne, not Jesus. Jesus appears in chapter 5 on the throne. Right now, it is God the Father. <clears throat> and he is seen not as a person, because how do they describe him? He says someone, so, so it is, there's, there's a personness <laughs> uh, to him, but he describes him as Jasper, had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Now, Jasper is a precious gem of what color? <laughs> Red, orange, green, you're all right, because it comes in various colors. We don't know exactly what color John was seeing here. And Carnelian, um, or uh, another word for it is Sardius, uh, for which the city of Sardis got its name. It was a, a gem that was common in that area. Um, and it was a blood-red stone, uh, which very well could signify the, the wrath of God. Uh, a lot of times colors and numbers uh, take on some fairly symbolic meaning throughout the book. Um, we have to remember, and I didn't hit this before, but I'll, I'll hit it now and I may, may say it again, that John, who John was writing to were Christians who were under heavy persecution and if he wrote a letter and plainly said what was going to happen, what would happen if that letter got intercepted? Persecution's going to skyrocket. They're going to come down heavy. Um, because they're mostly going to think that this Jesus they're saying is going to come and overthrow Rome. That's what Romans, anyone who read that, if they're not speaking in, in symbolically, um, would read and get. So John uses a lot of symbols that would mean something to the believers of that day. Uh, and we then get the joy of allowing the Holy Spirit to decipher those things for us. But those two gems, Jasper, which is multicolored, um, and Sardius or Carnelian is a, is a blood red stone, probably signifying God's wrath. Now, he says that there's someone sitting on the throne, but he describes him as color. Why is that? Why do you think? If, if it's God the Father, why, why is he just, he sees color, but yet he knows it's someone? Does God have a body? God is spirit. John chapter 4, God the Father, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says, those who worship will worship in spirit and truth. For God is spirit. God doesn't have a, God the Father does not have a body. So when he looks into heaven, he sees someone, but he sees a spirit. And he describes it as jasper and blood red in, in colors. Um, these two stones also were the first and last gemstones on the high priest's uh, breastplate. Um, so it's the first and the last. Yeah, Ron. Yes, yes. In heaven there will be no sun because God gives light to it. And so uh, that's what he's seeing. But yet he knew it was someone even though there was no body there. That's kind of amazing to me. So, yes, 
So the Exodus chapter 28, 17, if you want to write it down, talks about the first and the last gemstones on the high priest's breastplate was jasper and sardius or carnelian. Um, <clears throat> and so as a spirit, his sitting on the throne must be understood as figurative, not literal, because he's, spirit doesn't sit. He just is kind of there. And it would signify the spirit on the throne is that he is reigning. Uh, he, he is uh, royalty there. He is, has kingship. kingship. Okay, so a throne. Now there's something encircling the throne, and that's a rainbow. He says, uh, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Emerald being what color? Okay, no significance there. Not exactly sure why it would be green, but it is. Um, and so there's an emerald rainbow encircling the throne. Now, we don't know exactly what that rainbow, whether it was an arch, like the rainbows we see today over the top of the throne, whether it was a circle all the way around the throne, whether, you know, how that went. But he saw the rainbow. Now, why the rainbow? Why do you, what would be the significance of, the, of a rainbow with the throne and the, and the reigning of God? promise made back in, in Genesis to, to Noah uh, that, uh, that he would never destroy. That, that rainbow was a sign of grace and a sign of mercy. That he would never destroy the earth again by flood. And so he offered the rainbow. So, so as John is stepping in and, and seeing the spirit of God, God as spirit, someone, a person seated but not seated. He's a spirit on the throne, bright colors, the throne is, is the central piece of all of this. And then there's the symbol of grace encircling the throne. So while there is the wrath of God and the judgment of God, probably symbolized in the blood red stone, the carnelian, there is also this, this emblem of grace surrounding all of that judgment. And that would be hope for anyone reading this who's being persecuted uh, mercilessly. And, and being slaughtered and knowing that there are people within their church who have been killed for their faith. To know that there is, that God is a, a that judgment is coming, and yet there is grace for those who believe. Uh, that, that's a, a huge picture that he is painting for us. Then he sees in, the, in front of the throne, he says, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Now these elders appear throughout, uh, throughout the next several chapters, these 24 elders are going to appear. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. So these 24 thrones and the 24 elders in verse 4, who are the elders? There's a lot of guesses. Um, some say that they represented the 24 courses um, or, or teams of the Old Testament priests. If you go back and read First Chronicles chapter 25, it talks about that they divided the, the priests into 24. They called them courses, but kind of like 24 teams. And when your course was ready to serve, when your team was ready to serve, uh, then you went to the temple and you performed the priestly duties. Um, and so some would say, well, the 24 elders represent the priesthood and those 24 teams or courses of priests. Maybe, probably not. Um, it, that the 24 being a, a somewhat uh, 
complete number, uh, if you will, would be the, uh, the representative of the Catholic or universal church. That's what Catholic means, all-encompassing, everyone, not the Catholic church as we know it today as, as somewhat of a denomination, but um, Catholic as in universal, the whole church. And so it's a complete church. So you have, uh, uh, you have represented there the Old Testament believers, 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Israel, and you have the 12 apostles represented there um, as the New Testament church. So you have old and new and everything around and in between that. Um, probably not. Um, saying that it could be a group of uh, redeemed humans, those that Jesus, uh, when he emptied Hades, the righteous compartment, we went through that whole thing when we were talking about the timeline, um, that he would have taken some to be with him with, in paradise. Well, if, if John is seeing, and again, what does this sound like? Pre, mid, or post? Pre, because the believers are there in heaven when John sees this at this point, and, and nothing else has occurred at this time. Um, <clears throat> that it's, it's those from the righteous compartment of Hades. Um, and so pre-trib would see this as the raptured church around the throne. Probably not. Um, and, and one reason we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, or it could be just a group of angelic beings. That's probably more what it is. Um, that there were angels encircling the throne. Now, calling them elders... Uh, Elders were never used of angels. They were always used of, of human beings. But again, we'll get to uh, why we think they are elders when we look at how they were worshiping um, and the things that they were saying. So here's this group of, and we're going to go with the angelic beings, these 24 angelic beings sitting on their thrones, or at least having thrones around uh, God's throne. And they're dressed in white. Um, white is oftentimes righteous, holy, pure. That's what the, the, the color white represents throughout Scripture, really, not just in Revelation, but throughout Scripture. Um, you know, believers are promised white. Uh, the believers in Sardis, they were promised to be clothed in white garments. Uh, the uh, Laodicea, uh, they were advised, remember what, they were known for their black wool. Um, and they thought they were rich because of their black wool. And Jesus says, you know what? You need to buy from me white garments. Um, you need to, to buy from me, and buy is used, you need to get from me uh, a righteousness that, that comes only from Christ. And so dressed in white would signify the purity uh, that was there. And then they had crowns of gold uh, on their heads. And uh, again, believers in Smyrna were promised a crown of life if they remained faithful. So apparently... Uh, here's ones that, that are, are faithful. They, they have the crowns. Um, Paul promised the Corinthians a crown that doesn't perish is what we will get. And so this crown uh, represents victory or, or overcoming uh, with that. Yeah. Why do I think it's not? Why do I think it's angelic beings? Um, let's jump there. Um, in verse... 
in verse 9 of chapter 5. Verse 8 says, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom. So if it was, if the elders were humans that were redeemed, they would have said, you have taken us. But the fact that they say them, angels would, angels don't know redemption. Um, because the, the, the holy angels that would be there uh, would, would never, would not have sinned. So the fact that they use the word them signifies that they're different than man who is coming. Yeah, that, that where I looked that up because I've always held to the fact that angels don't sing. Nowhere in scripture. Um, and depending on your translation, NIV uses sing. There are other translations that use the word say. Um, I, I knew someone would pick up on that. I've held for years and, and preached for years that angels, nowhere in scripture do we see that angels are singing. Um, they always say. Uh, and so depending on your translation, you might get sang a new song. Um, or one I even said, uh, it said uh, they sang a new song saying and then on the, on the words. So anyhow, um, <clears throat> so that's why I would hold to them being angelic beings because of the way the words in which they use there. Um, then we see that, that uh, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and, and peals of thunder. Um, lightning and thunder almost always represents God's judgment. Um, and so judgment is coming, uh, is, what, is what John is seeing and what John is relaying to the churches. Exodus chapter 19 says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Revelation 16, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. And so what John is, is saying is that the, the judgment is coming, that, that there is judgment coming, which would be encouraging to the believers who are being persecuted. And should be encouraged, encouraging to us that, that there is judgment, that there is going to come a time when God sets things right. Um, you know, we, we can see in our own, and I've, I've heard comments all around that, you know, the direction that our society is heading, the direction that our culture is heading is scary. Uh, when you think of, of how far away from God we have moved in just 10 years, really, um, you know, where will we be 10 years from now? And, and, and with everything that might possibly happen, there's coming a day beyond that, if God were to tarry 10 years, beyond that when God will set it all right. And that we hold on to, that we live for. 
Um, that's what John was telling the, the churches to, to hold on to, remain faithful, remain steadfast. There is a day coming. The day of the Lord is approaching. And, and we have to understand that things have to get worse before it gets better. Um, those are the days that are going to separate the sheep from the goats. Those are the days that are going to show man's faith, who is faithful and who's just playing around. Um, it, it's got to come to that um, with it. So um, peals of thunder, uh, the lightning always comes along with God's judgment. Um, <clears throat> and then there are seven lamps in front of the throne. Uh, These are the seven spirits of God, which represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when John is looking, he sees someone, a spirit of of bright uh, colors, glorious, seated or at least near the throne, which is the center of heaven. And uh, in front of the throne or around the throne are the the seven spirits of God, which actually is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't think of them as seven separate spirits. Um, but one spirit, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, I gave you, they kind of break down uh, the spirit of the Lord into seven different, uh, different parts. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his roots. A branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of fear. And with all of that, he is the Holy Spirit of God. Those are the seven spirits. So the spirit of knowledge, that, that, that is the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear, God. That's the Holy Spirit. So those are the seven spirits of God uh, or the spirit of God sevenfold, um, seven ways to represent him. So the Holy Spirit is there as well uh, around And then we see this sea of glass in verse 6. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. It's interesting that everything looks like something. What does that tell you? It's all new. I'm not real sure what I'm looking at, but it looks like a sea of glass. I'm not sure what I'm looking at like, but it looks like someone on a throne. It looks kind of like it's all new stuff. And the best his mind, his finite mind, the best he can do is describe it by things we can understand. Someone said, and this was a conversation I was having with my wife, and I don't remember where she heard it, um, but it it had an impact on me, and I've been, on both of us actually, and I've been mulling it over. Someone said, you know, the reason why we, we have such a hard time with God is because God is other. We want to make him part of us. We want to we understand him the way I understand Jim. I want to be able to understand God the way I understand other people. But God is other. He's completely, totally different than you and I. Now, we are created in his image, but we have corrupted that image. And so we are trying to see God through a corrupted understanding through a fallen sinful nature we're trying to explain god god is completely other right the the stuff of this universe all the material things um you know the material makeup of stuff and we try to explain god by the stuff in the box by by material by what we can see touch know smell god is completely other 
than all of that. So we get a lot of John saying it was like, it looked like, it appeared to be, because he's probably laying his eyes on things he's never seen before. Well, I know he's never seen before, but even substances he's never seen before. And so he's trying to describe it in ways that we can understand. So here's this sea of glass, looks like a sea of glass, like crystal. So there's a big expanse separating the throne from man. There is this this crystal-like expanse. Exodus chapter 24 kind of paints a picture of that as well. It says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. Now again, what did they say? Was something like a pavement, this this expanse that was bright blue. And John's seeing basically the same thing. He's seeing something, this this expanse, this this crystal uh, that separated the throne from where man was, from where he was he was at. So there's this sea of glass. And then we see in verse 6 again, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an, an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Probably, again, four angelic beings, probably not a whole lot of symbolism. No one's really put anything to these four creatures other than they are bizarre looking. Um, and there's four of them all around. I, I would love to have, uh, and I, I didn't get, and I may still do this if I come, come into some money. Because uh, <laughs> I'd have to pay the kid to do it. But um, a good friend of mine uh, has, has two sons that are incredible artists. And I would love to have them just take, I I want you to take these creatures and draw them. Just the way they're described. Draw them. Um, And I would love to see, but I'd have to pay them to do that. Um, I don't want to just ask them to do it for nothing. So if you've got money laying around, you'd like to donate to the picture fund, um, let me know. Because I think they would would get a kick out of doing it. Um, But here we have a lion, an ox, a man's face, and a flying eagle. Now the lion is best if we want to get some symbolism to it. We're, we're looking at all of the creatures upon the earth. You have the lion, who is the wild animal. You have the ox, who is a domesticated animal. You have the man, who is a, a human animal. And you have the flying eagle, who is a fowl. So the only thing you're really missing are the sea creatures in, in these four living creatures. Um, you're missing anything that lives under the water. So there's, there's not a lot of symbolism to it. But again, these four will show up uh, at other times uh, throughout. Um, now, what are they doing? That, that's kind of, that's what he's seeing. So get a picture of this. He steps into the door, whether he goes through it or just peeks in it. And he sees this throne kind of thing in the center. It seems to be the center of everything. And there's someone who's brightly colored, not really a person or a body, but a spirit sitting in the middle, surrounded by 24 thrones with 24 elders, four living creatures. One's a, a lion and an ox and a man and an eagle all around. There's this big, huge rainbow encircling, whether it's all the way around or an arc, and and this big expanse of crystal between me and it. Got that picture in your head? That's what John just told us he saw, his first glimpse into heaven. Now, let's talk about what's going on when he looked. Yeah, Bill. 
pure worship. That is what's going on. Um, and that really is, it's worship. Um, now, uh, give a little plug. Um, next Sunday morning, um, Bill Gressley is going to be teaching a Sunday school class on worship. Called, it's called Worship the Ultimate Priority. And it's going to be on the stage in the gym. If you looked at the, the insert, it says that it's going to be in Wombaland Room 103. It's not. We've After this morning, we made some adjustments and changes in Bill's class on worship. Um, and you're just going to take a biblical, you're going to go through the Bible and, and look at, at what worship is and, and kind of begin to unpack this incredible and yet tough to understand topic. Um, and so... Uh, so let me put that plug in. Sunday school, 9 o'clock on the stage starting next Sunday, and it'll go through into May. Two weeks into May. We'll end right uh, Mother's Day. Yeah, 10 weeks. Um, so worship is what's going on uh, in here. And, and so let's look at the, here we have the four creatures in chapter, in verse 8. It says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Uh, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So here we see these four creatures, and they have six wings. Now, this is the same as what, I, this is what Isaiah saw. Um, back in, in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, I used to have it memorized. It's been a long time, and I want to get it right. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, or angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, what were these angels with six wings singing? Saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. First verse was the same. Okay, first line of the song, first line of the saying was, was all the same. Now, these six wings, we, we learned from Isaiah, and I think we can, can rightly put those six-winged creatures to these six-winged creatures, um, since they were around the throne, that, that with two wings they covered their face, which would have been an act of worship, uh, since no one could look upon God and live, these creatures covered their face, um, signifying their worship of, of this God is spirit, God the Father in their midst. Um, with two, they covered their feet, which is also an act of worship because they were on holy ground. Uh, now they were flying, if they landed, you know, so they, they covered their feet, they covered their face, and with two, they were flying, which means they had purpose. Uh, they, they, were, they were moving, they were carrying out God's will. At least in, in Isaiah, that's what we see them doing. Um, and uh, these, these angels like this, are oftentimes associated with judgment. They were carrying out uh, a judgment uh, from God. And so here we have two wings. They, they were worshiping. Uh, these, these four creatures were worshiping. They were full of eyes, which means alert, shows knowledge, um, wisdom, uh, not omniscient, 
because only God is omniscient, so they were not omniscient creatures, otherwise they didn't know everything, but they were, they were seeing. Uh, they were alert, they were understanding, they had knowledge, they had wisdom, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, the significance of holy, holy, holy. Um, <clears throat> we, we put, when we really want emphasis, okay, we even have to change this a little bit now that texting is around. If you really want to emphasize something, what do you put at the end of the sentence? Exclamation point. If you're really emphatic about it. If you're texting, what do you do? All caps. Okay, if you're yelling and you really want to get your point across and you want the emphasis and you text message and it's all caps, the, the reader understands, wow, they really mean this. They didn't have all that. In, in New Testament, in the Greek, there wasn't a whole lot of punctuation, which makes uh, figuring out what the Greek text means tough sometimes because there's no punctuation. So what they would do is just simply repeat it for emphasis. And anything that was said three times would be like all caps with exclamation points. Okay? It's the most. So the most holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. So they're, they're, they're saying that signifying the pinnacle of holiness, the ultimate holiness. Right, that's as high as they ever went. Yes, right. And, and eternal. Um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord uh, who was and is and is to come. They see God as eternal. Um, <clears throat> he transcends time. He has no beginning and he has no end. Um, and so the angels, the, these four creatures are, are worshiping him. And then the 24 elders uh, get involved. Uh, that when the, when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks, the 24 elders cast their crowns. Um, they, they take their crowns and they lay it before the throne. Now, there is some symbolism and significance to that action. Because whenever a king... You know, when two kings were, were in battle and one king would overthrow the other king, the, the way in which they surrendered, the way in which they showed their submission was they took their crown off and they laid it at the victor's feet, signifying that that king just beat this king. Um, and so this is, this is a very big act of worship. It's, it's, a, it's a sentiment of, of surrender, of submission, that they took their crown and, and they laid it at the king, the king's feet if the spirit has feet. Uh, they laid it before the, before the throne, uh, signifying that kind of worship. This is the first of six times that the elders are going to uh, prostate themselves uh, before God, that, that they're going to, to lay themselves before God. Okay? And so uh, Revelation 4, 5, twice in 5, 7, 11, and 19, I gave them for you there. Um, so we, we have this incredible worship going on as, as John looks. And now we get into chapter 5, um, that, there, that there is a scroll. Uh, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, which was unusual because usually the scroll would write on one side, roll it up, um, and with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So here it is in the hand of God, written on both sides. There are seven seals holding it shut. Um, 
And really with seven seals, it was com- the, the contents of this scroll was completely guarded. And if you know how the seal works, it's kind of, you know, you take the, the scroll, you roll it up, and then you, you take like a, a wax or something that would seal it, put it on, and then you put the imprint of the sender, had like the, you know, the king's ring or something like that, put the imprint in the seal signifying it was from them. The more important the document, the more seals that were on it. And seven was usually the most seals that were on it. And only someone uh, who had the authority to open that could pop those seals off or take those seals off and open up uh, the scroll. So it could not be opened until all the seals were broken. Uh, there was secrecy to the contents. No one knew what was, in the, what was on this scroll, um, and it, which signified the importance of the scroll. So God is holding something incredibly important in his right hand. Again, he's spirit. Okay, so let's just kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll live with the using the feet and the hands and the, all of that. Um, John is trying his best to, to give us the picture of what he's seeing. Um, this also signifies progressive revelation. Otherwise, certain things have to happen before the next thing happens throughout all of this. So the first seal has to be open. Things are going to happen. The second seal, things are going to happen all the way up until the seventh seal uh, is, is broken. So, and only an authorized person could break the seals. Only someone who is authorized to receive this scroll. And so they're going all around looking for the scroll. Um, and this scroll really is, is a, a prophecy of the end times. Do I have three blanks there, three things that you need to fill in? Okay, let me go through them real quick. One is it could be a last will. That was something the Romans did. They understood that that when someone wrote their last will and testament on a scroll, they sealed it with seven seals. Um, So it might be painting that picture, which if the Romans intercepted the letter, eh, it's just the last will. It's not a whole lot of significance. But to a Jew, um, or to a Christian and the the Jews, it could be the Lamb's Book of Life. These are the names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, which is mentioned throughout the Revelation, but there's no relationship between the Lamb's Book of Life and the seals, trumpets, and bowls that appear. So it's probably not the Lamb's Book of Life either. So it's not a will. It's not the Lamb's Book of Life, which means it's probably the prophecy of the end-time events. This is the unfolding. This is what's going to happen. Um, and if you've read through the Revelation, you know that's, that is what it is, because as the seals were pulled off, things began to happen one right after another through those seven seals. Um, But there's a problem in heaven. And what's the problem? they, They couldn't find anyone worthy to open the seals. They searched everywhere. They searched all of heaven. They searched all of earth. They searched under the earth, which would mean hell. They, they went into the unrighteous compartment. Hey, look everywhere. Okay, if you've lost something, look even in the place you know it's not. All right, so they're looking for someone worthy enough, righteous enough to open up this scroll, and they looked everywhere and could not find anyone. And what's John's response to that? He cried, weeped. That's not even just, you know, little dramatic tear trickled down his cheek. He wailed. That's the word they used for weeping. This was significant crying, not a whimper, but a wailing. And, and <clears throat> unrestrained emotion would be another way to look at it. And the reason for the emotion was the showing that there was no man from Adam until the present day of John who was worthy. 
no one was worthy. And so all of mankind is not worthy to be in the presence of God, to open that seal. There is none. Not even the angels were worthy. And when John contemplated that, it brought great emotion to him, sadness, that there was no one that could, that could open the seals because everyone had sent. And one of the elders looks to John and says, dude, stop crying. Why? What did he know? You know, there is, there is one that's worthy, and it's, he's in our presence. He's here right now. If you look over at the throne, you'll see him. And John does. He looks at the throne. And he says, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we have now a lamb at the throne. Uh, and he describes this lamb using lion of the tribe of Judah. And that, that phrase, the lion of the tribe of Judah, signifies the Messiah. That, that was a term that, that all of the, the Christians, the Jewish Christians, would have understood to be pointing to the Messiah. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all the nations shall be his. That's, a point, that's pointing to Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and that's the Messiah that is coming in. And so John would understand that as here is the Messiah, here, here is Jesus. He would, he would know that. He also called him the Root of David. Now, the Root of David would give him the title of king. King David. So he's not only the, the Messiah of the tribe of Judah that was promised, he's also of the lineage of David. He, is, he has royal blood, uh, if you will. He is, he is a king. Isaiah chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And uh, Jesse was David's father, and out of that line would come the root of David, which would be Jesus uh, the king. And then we have him called the lamb. Uh, in, in verse 6, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So the lamb is the sacrifice. He's the sacrificial lamb. So we see in just these three descriptive phrases or words, he is the Messiah, the king, and the sacrifice, the, the, the promised one uh, that would come. And uh, this, this lamb is used 28 times to describe Christ uh, here throughout uh, these verses, these chapters. Uh, he has seven horns, which would signify complete power. He has seven eyes, which in this case does signify complete omniscience. Um, seven is a complete number. It's God's number, uh, if you will, as you, as you understand. Seven is God's number. What's man's number? Six. Um, six will always be short of seven. Always. You can round it up, but it'll always be short of seven. Man will never be God. And we, can, we read that, you know, the, the mark of the beast or the, that put the, the number on him and that's God. Man's number is 666 because it's always short of 777. That's God's number. Um, so seven signifies godliness. Uh, so here we have complete omniscience. He's in the midst of the throne, standing between the throne and the worshipers. 
So, so he's, he is the mediator. He's the one between God the Father and, and the worshipers and man. Um, and he has a crown he has overcome. He's victorious. Uh, he's overcome the cross. He's overcome death. He's overcome Satan. He's overcome sin. Um, so anyone who was not able to see Christ before he ascended, after his resurrection, which most of the, those in the churches, these seven churches, would not have witnessed that. Here's the Messiah is there. The king is there. This, the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is on the throne. How encouraging is that going through persecution? Judgment is coming. Jesus has conquered. We will overcome. We too will be conquerors. So here's the lamb. Uh, the problem solved. We have the lambs here, and now we see we enter into worship of the lamb. We worshiped God the Father. Now we're worshiping the lamb. So the worship has shifted from worshiping God on the throne to worshiping uh, the lamb. And again, we have the 24 elders, um, verse 8. And when he had taken it, when, when the lamb, when Christ had taken the scroll, uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they said a new song, sang a new song. So here they are with harps, uh, which we you know we always have pictures of the angels and their harps. Okay, it's biblical. They're there. They're, they have the harps. Harps, a lot of times uh, David played a harp uh, when he worshiped God. Um, and then they had bowls of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of the saints were like incense before the Father. Um, and, and here the 24 elders were, were carrying those prayers before God as part of their worship. And so our own prayer life is, is, is a part of worship to God. Yes. Um, incense, as you know, is, is a powder. Uh, resin almost, beaten fine is what, what Bill said. Um, meaning that there, there's details in the, not just a blanket prayer um, off the top of your head. It, it's really pouring out uh, to God is what, what prayer is. Um, and then he says, you know, the things they were saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Um, and then we see that, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne. Okay, this is a big room. Okay, he walked in the door and we've got tens of thousands of thousands of angels joining these 28 elders and creatures around the throne that the Lamb is, is on. And all of the angels have come in mass. Can you imagine that? Tens of thousands of angels. 10,000 times 10,000. What's 10,000 times 10,000? A lot. <laughs> Let's see, it would be 10 with six zeros behind. 10 million, is that right? 10,000 times 10,000. Yeah, 10 million. 10 million angels. And that, okay, I'm guessing he didn't count them. I'm guessing he just said there are more than I could count. And he represented it with thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and, and the living creatures and the elders. So they're all around the throne. And in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb 
who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And so this incredible multitude joins in. Can you imagine what that sounded like? That would have been loud. A hundred million, 10,000 times 10,000. A hundred million. See, it just gets bigger and bigger. There's more and more of them. Um, And so every created thing in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, praised God, entered into this time of worship. Is what, is what John is, is seeing. And, and I've been to some pretty awesome worship experiences with thousands of people. Um, Life Conference is always an amazing, amazing event when you get seven or 8,000 senior high students and, and sponsors praising God. It, it is just phenomenal. Uh, Promise Keepers, I was in... Uh, I guess I was in Indy once, in Detroit once, but 62,000 men in Indianapolis. Crazy. I mean, that, that was phenomenal. It's not 100 million uh, by any stretch. So. Yeah, yeah. Promise keepers when they were on the, uh, the mall in Washington. Just a phenomenal thing that, that John was able to lay his eyes on and to see and to witness. On the sea. Unless it was, uh, I mean, unless it was representative of, uh, at that point, the creatures in the sea. Um, Because you would have um, things in heaven, which would be birds, on the earth, which would be man and, and all of the earth creatures under the earth would actually be Hades and that was a reference to hell most of the time Um, and then on the sea and in the sea so on and in it seems like on would be in Um, uh, I I look I can look closer into that to see exactly what kind of creatures they were talking about that would be on the sea didn't see where the on the sea would be yeah Um, I'll look into it a little farther Um, so all worshiping so chapters four and five really is all about worship and and John is seeing worship from heaven's perspective uh, probably the way it's supposed to be done so here's your homework what is worship from these two chapters Four and five, I want you to come up with a definition of worship. And I want you to come up with at least five lessons that we can learn about worship from these two chapters. Okay? A definition and five lessons that we can learn, positive or negative. Worship, do this. Worship, don't do that um, sort of thing. Positive or negative on what worship is. At least five. You should be able to come up with five with no problem. You come up with more. Take this. This is actually, this is a, a thing we always had to do in school. 
um, in Bible college was you weren't allowed just to read and get all the facts. You actually had to apply it um, in college. And, and so you, we always had to make lists of lessons that we had to learn. So it's a great discipline as you're reading. What are the lessons I can learn from this for my own life? Um, so when it comes to worship, at least five, like come up with a definition of worship from these verses. I need verses with it, okay? Not just a definition because you heard it somewhere once or you Googled it and came up with it. I need the definition that comes out of these two. So I need the verse and then your lessons based in, I also need chapter and verse on the lessons. Sounds like school, doesn't it? Sorry, not really. <laughs> I've always thought church should be school. We should give out grades. You pass or fail. There is a church in uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, Bill just came back uh, from meeting with a number of, of uh, youth pastors. And uh, they were talking about how do you do discipleship within your, your youth groups. And the church in Appleton, Wisconsin actually does do lessons, hand out exams, and reports the grade that the student got to the parents. Um, no pressure there going to <laughs> Sunday school uh, is what it is. That's how they do it in Appleton. So let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we again are thankful for truth, that you are a God of truth, and that you have given us, you've, you've allowed us through the eyes of John to peek into heaven. Father, I pray that as we this week mull these chapters over, four and five, that you would teach us, continue through your Holy Spirit to teach us what true worship is, uh, that we would become better worshipers, that we would become lead worshipers within our families and to those around us, uh, day in and day out, that, that everything we do, we do to the glory of God. We, we do as an act of worship to you. So, Father, teach us this week. Uh, Lord, show us. Let us catch another glimpse. Let us begin to, to see and, and to visualize what John saw, that our hearts might be encouraged in the days ahead. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.